Well, good evening, everyone. Um, I suppose it's a bit of a surprise uh, to see me here preaching tonight, and we do pray for Harry that he will recover well and uh, be back again as good as new uh, very soon. Um, I want us to begin to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. So if you have a Bible with you, then uh, please turn it to there. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV. I think many of you might have an NIV, so it will be slightly different uh, from that, but not all that much different. Um, So in a moment or two, we're going to read the small sections that make up this chapter and then make some comment on them. So let's pray before we begin. Father, again, we thank you for your grace and for your favour upon our lives. We thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we do pray that that word might come to us this evening. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you will lead and guide and that you will teach us from your word what you want us to know. That the spirit of truth might lead us into all truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this uh, story um, is probably well known to many of us. If you've been in church at all uh, for any amount of time, you probably have heard uh, this parable preached on, read, taught to you in Sunday school, uh, all that kind of thing over uh, many years. If you're new to church, then uh, it may be um, something you've never heard before. And so uh, stick with us. There are some tremendous um, parables in here. Uh, And this one is a wonderful parable teaching us uh, of the grace of God and uh, God's heart towards mankind. Um, The the first part of chapter 15 begins with a couple of verses which kind of set the scene for us. And uh, so what I want to do is read these two verses first of all and then make a couple of comments on that and then begin to work our way through uh, the remainder of the chapter as far as we can go. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 1 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now right away we see uh, that there are two groups of people that Jesus uh, is addressing um, here in this uh, parable. And a parable is more than a story. Sometimes we um, kind of hear parables described as a, as a kind of a story. Well, it is a, a story in some ways, but it's more um, of a, an address to the heart of mankind. And so Jesus uses parables uh, to be able to communicate right to our hearts, to bypass sometimes the, the, the um, challenges that we would bring, and he wants to speak to our hearts as he brings these to us. And so we're going to have a look and see what's going. But right at the beginning we see there are two groups of people. There's one group which are called tax collectors and sinners. And it tells us that they were drawing near to Jesus. So two groups, tax collectors and sinners. And they were the folks that everybody um, disregarded or hated in some way or another. Tax collectors um, were particularly um, uh, nasty pieces of work because they were the people who uh, 
gathered the taxes for the Jewish state, but also for the Romans. And uh, they would also take a little bit for themselves, or a big bit for themselves sometimes as well, and put it in their own pockets. Now, nobody likes a tax collector, frankly, because we think that probably we get taxed too much. But these guys were not liked at all. And in fact, if you, if you read the story of Zacchaeus in, in Luke 19, you'll see that uh, Zacchaeus wasn't all that liked. Um, here's this little man who uh, decided that he wanted to see Jesus like everybody else. But of course, uh, the big people at the front uh, closed ranks on him and wouldn't let him through to see uh, what was going on at the front. The, the crowd pressed in and they wouldn't let him see what was going on. So as we know, he went along and climbed up a tree and Jesus came and spoke to him there. And again, if you want to look at that, that was a, 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 an attack on the heart that Jesus was doing uh, to Zacchaeus in that chapter too. So here we have these, these guys, tax collectors and sinners. So there's a sort of collective group of people who were the ne'er-do-wells perhaps of uh, the community. But notice what they were doing. They were drawing near to Jesus. These people knew that they had problems. They were aware of the challenges of their lives. They were aware of their own sin, perhaps. And they wanted to get near to Jesus to hear what he had to say. And then it tells us in verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes, they were the second group, and they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, I don't know about you, but I am so glad that Jesus receives sinners. Isn't it fantastic to know that the Jesus that we worship is not trying to make us religious, he's trying to make us repentant. He brings us to the place of repentance. And what he speaks to us is speaking to our hearts. But these people... They felt that they were perhaps too religious uh, and too good to require any kind of repentance. And so they began to grumble that Jesus was uh, making himself unclean, if you like, by going and speaking to these folks. And so Jesus begins to speak to them a parable in verse 3. So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety and nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so, can you imagine that these people are standing there listening to this parable and Jesus is beginning to prod them in the heart. He's beginning to speak to their heart. He's saying to those who ran away, like the lost sheep that have something to say to you but he's also saying to those who felt that they had no need of repentance that he had something to say to them as well 
And he's telling them that there is an amazing God, a Father who is waiting for them, who wants to give them the repentance that they require and bring them back to him again. And so this lost sheep is uh, indicative of a lost person, obviously. But he's saying in verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who don't need to repent. The heart of God is described very clearly here that there is huge joy in heaven, rejoicing amongst the angels, some translations put it, when one sinner repents. And so here is a man who has a hundred sheep. Now, I have some background in that. My father was a shepherd all his life. And uh, he would, um, at one time, when I was maybe about 16 years old, I just left school, um, he was looking after around 1,000 sheep, 1,100 sheep on his own. So he enlisted my help to, and my brother's help to, to help him with that. And so it was quite a challenge. And the uh, sheep would go missing. And he used to send me um, to uh, the hill area around the farm where we stayed to make sure that the sheep were okay and come back and give him a report on that, tell him how things were going. And uh, he occasionally wondered if my eyes were painted on, that <laughs> I didn't actually see very much and uh, didn't give a very full report. And he would get annoyed at that because the shepherd's heart is to make sure that the sheep are okay. And so here is Jesus uh, saying, these sheep have gone astray. How did it go astray? Well, we're not told how it goes astray. However, we know that sheep always go astray. It's very clear that and Jesus speaks to his people quite a lot about being like sheep and being uh, lost like sheep. And uh, there are times when uh, sheep would slip through a fence somehow. And uh, I don't know if you've ever driven around the countryside and find sheep on the wrong side of the fence. They're grazing on the side of the road and uh, they tend to be getting in the way from time to time. Well, we used to have all sorts of tricks that we would play to try and stop them doing that. Put triangles of wood around their heads and uh, do all sorts of stuff so that they couldn't get through the fence. But there were some sheep that just did it anyway. Didn't matter what you did to them, they were always on the wrong side of the fence. They always managed to escape. And so here is Jesus saying that this man... Um, he's lost 1% of his flock. But yet, because he's a shepherd, he wants to go and find that one. Some may say, well, it's only one. Never mind. But this shepherd wants to go and find them. So he's speaking to these people who are there. If you've gone astray, he's saying, there is some way back for you here. And the Father wants you to come back into the fold once again. So here we find someone who is lost outside. He's meant to be inside the fold, but he's lost outside. So if you look at these first two groups of people, who is Jesus speaking to? Probably the tax collectors and sinners. Then we go on in verse 8. It's headed here, the parable of the lost coin. And it says, Or that or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. 
Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So here is something that is lost inside the house. So there was something lost outside, the tax collectors and sinners, and there's something lost inside. And he's clearly referring to the Pharisees and the scribes who grumbled and who thought they had no need of any repentance. Here's a woman who's lost a coin um, and it's disappeared somewhere inside the house and she can't find it. So she turns the house upside down to be able to find this. She takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and she rejoices. You see, our father puts great value even in something that is not all that valuable. The sheep was 1% of the flock. The coin was, according to what's written here, probably about 10% of what she owned. And so it's perhaps one coin, maybe not of great value, according to some commentators, maybe about a day's wages. Well, that, that's getting up there, isn't it? That's quite a lot. But some value is put on this small coin that she had lost. And Jesus says, there will be great joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then we go on to a fairly long uh, piece here in verse 11 and onwards, the parable of the prodigal son. And then it says in verse 11, and he said there was a man who had two sons. Now, I don't know who actually puts these little headings in the Bible uh, in between uh, series of verses and sections, but it says that's a prodigal son, and then it goes on to tell us he has two sons. And so there is a challenge uh, to be met here as we read through it. Verse 12, the younger son of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property, that is the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And again, Jesus is speaking to someone who's lost, who's going his own way, who's begun to uh, turn away from God. And he's speaking clearly to the tax collectors and sinners at the beginning of the chapter. This boy, he's got his share. Now, all of the sons would probably have some form of a share, but it was likely that the elder son in the family would get the biggest share. So we don't know exactly what's going on here, but here is this man um, being harassed by his younger son to give him uh, his share of the property. Now, I don't know about you, but in uh, this kind of culture, it's highly likely that the uh, father, when he was dying, would hand over his property. He would bless his sons and he would tell them the share of their property. And probably the elder son would be given the property and then it would be distributed by him to the others. So clearly the father has been asked for something that maybe it's a bit early to ask him. He's asked for something before he's dead. And so in some ways that's a bit of an insult to the father. The younger son is almost saying to his dad, I wish you would hurry up and die 
and let me have the property that belongs to me. It's a terrible thing to say to anybody, and yet this boy is so full of his own importance that he decides he's going to do that anyway. And so he takes his share, and it says he goes off to a far country, and uh, he squanders his uh, property on reckless living. Verse 14, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. Now, one of the things that we've been talking about recently is is God's hand being at work uh, in circumstances. And sometimes we have circumstances in our lives that um, we don't like, challenges that come up and we don't like them. And uh, sometimes God uses these circumstances to bring about change and direct us back to where he wants us to be. And I remember, I think it was Sinclair a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about Brexit and the whole mess that Brexit is in right now and, and so on, and asking us to consider that if God was in all of that and bringing us to a place we would, where we would, as a nation, begin to turn back to God once again and cry out to God to bring about uh, some form of reality and truth within our nation. And so here's this boy. He heads off, uh, spends all that he has, And it ends up that there's a famine in that country. And it says, and he began to be in need. This is something that this boy had never faced before. He had never been in need. He'd come from a family that was well off. And he had been sent off with his pockets full to go uh, off on his own uh, to do his world tour, as it were. And so he began to be in need. This was a challenge. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Here is a Jewish boy um, having to get close to animals which are called unclean animals in terms of the law. And so here he has gone not only from losing all his money but being in a place of famine and getting to the very bottom of his life And that is to feed unclean animals, to be the most unclean person uh, around. And he would be miserable in that situation. It says in verse uh, 16 that he was longing even to feed, uh, to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Imagine having to eat pig food. Now, it's not kind of like the kind of pig food you get nowadays. It's all nicely processed and it comes in bags and it all looks the same. It's very nice. Um, and when you look at it, you think, oh, I actually could probably eat that. It would be okay. <laughs> well, maybe you wouldn't. <laughs> but um, so here is this boy. This is everything that you could possibly throw away ended up with the pigs. All this stuff that nobody wanted. But remember, here we are in famine. So even the best of the worst food would be eaten by human beings. And the remainder would go to the pigs. And so here he is, he's struggling with this, uh, looking at the muck that the pigs were being fed and saying to himself, I want to eat that. He must have been really down uh, low to have that situation. And it says, to him, it says here that no one gave him anything. All of the friends that he had, everybody that was alongside him during this time that he had plenty of money had gone. 
No one was prepared to give him anything. And then in verse 17, something happens. It says, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. You know, part of repentance is coming to our senses, is beginning to understand that we've done wrong. Repentance is not about feeling bad. Repentance is about turning around, is knowing that we've done wrong and turning around and doing something else. And so when we are in sin, going our own way, we head doing our own stuff in our own direction. We want to go to a far country. We want to spend our money. We want to do what we want to do. But then this young man comes to his senses and he turns around. He begins to turn and he says, now I want to go and do what my father would have me do. That's repentance. We've turned around and begin to go God's way rather than our own way. And that's a big challenge that comes to all, every one of us that we need to turn around. We need to come to our senses. And he began to think about his father's house and what it was going to be like. And so he then says in verse 18, I will arise and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now here he is, a change has taken place in his heart. Something has happened in this boy's heart because he's now saying, and I'm not trying to do my own thing, I now want to do what God wants me to do or my father wants me to do. And he said, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He understands what sin is all about. Our sin is not against ourselves. It's not even against the people that we've sinned against if we've stolen from them or whatever. It's not all about that. Our sin is against God because he is the one who will judge us for our sins. And so he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he has humbled himself in this situation. Verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And again, just gives us a, a little bit of a glimpse into the heart of God for humankind. He sees us a long way off. God is not surprised that we're on our way back. He sees us and he wants to come and meet us in that journey. Now, while he was still a long way off, can you imagine? Here is this boy who went out of the house with wealthy clothes on him, with his pockets full of money, with a bag full of food, upright and proud of himself, and off he strides into the distance. And yet, his father is going looking for him, seeking him every day, looking to see if he's coming back. And in the distance, he sees this person who is stooped over, who is in rags, who is skinny, who looks like he's not got a penny to his name and he's making his way towards him. That's what we look like when we return to Christ. That's what we're like. He says, your righteousness is like filthy rags. That's what it's like on us. And so he, we come back and the father runs 
to embrace us and kiss us. That's God's heart towards every one of us. And so we can be in no doubt from reading this what God's heart is like towards those who are repenting, those who sin. In verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Wow. And put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. So this boy wasn't going to end up being a servant. He was going to end up being a son. Taking his place as a son in the household. His rightful place as a son. He was given a robe to wear. He was given a ring to put on his finger and shoes on his feet. Servants didn't have that. They were barefoot, usually. They didn't get a ring. Now, I wear a ring. I've had this ring on my finger for 40 years this year, just a few months ago. This ring has got a meaning. It means something. It says and it gives a message to everybody who sees it. It says, this man is taken every other woman in the world hands off. (laughs) That's what it says. Because it's my wedding ring. But this boy was given a ring and it also had a message. It had a message that you're no longer a servant, but you're a son. And that is so powerful when we read this, that God does not stop us and make us work for uh, that place of sonship, but he gives it to us. He presents it to us and he gives us a ring uh, and shoes and a robe to put on our, our bodies. But further than that, he goes on to celebrate. Um, it says in verse 23, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Verse 24, for this my son was dead but is alive again. That is the father that we serve, the God that we serve. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but through the, the sacrifice on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can then come repent and become alive again in Christ. This boy was lost and is found. These are powerful words. The transformation that takes place as we repent and return to the Father. And so they began to celebrate. Verse 25, here's son number two uh, in the story. Remember at the beginning we were told he had two sons. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called uh, one of the servants and asked, what, what, the, what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. Now you notice what the servants called this boy. They said, your brother has come. So they identified him as his, as his brother. 
Verse 28, but this older brother was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. Now, I think in the NIV it says, slaved for you or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. And you can see that there's an attitude problem that this boy has as well. He's stayed in the house. The other brother had gone outside the house and got lost. This boy had stayed in the house and appeared to be just as lost. I've slaved for you. I've served you all these years. And I never disobeyed your command. I don't need repentance. That's what he's saying. And you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours, separating himself from him, came, you have devoured your property, uh, sorry, who devoured your property and killed the fatted calf for him. And so he had a dreadful, dreadful attitude to his brother. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, there's something going on here that we need to recognize, because sometimes in the church, we don't like it when our lives are upset by filthy sinners coming into the place. We get upset because these people don't know how to to live in church. They don't know how to conduct themselves in church. And so these are the challenges that we, who have not gone and run away and done stupid things, have to face. That I mean, I was brought up in the church. I was, uh, from a child, um, taken to church every Sunday. And so I don't have the testimony of somebody perhaps who had had a wild life. Don't have that. Nevertheless, this is speaking to me because I can have an attitude towards those of us in the church and I can have an attitude towards God who has not properly looked after me because I've been here all this time. And so he says, uh, this boy has devoured everything that was yours and you've killed a calf for him. You've made him back into being a son again. And the father is challenging him at the end. Now one of the things that that I read about this particular chapter suggested that the elder son had the responsibility in the family for the younger sons. That it was his responsibility to go and find that boy when he took off. It wasn't the father's responsibility It was the son, the elder son's responsibility. And it actually works very well with the story of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Because Jesus is our elder brother. The Bible tells us, um, I think it's in Romans 8, that Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers. In other words, he is our elder brother. He is the one who has come after us. Isaiah chapter 6, you see the story of Isaiah happening there and he, he is delivering all these woes in chapter 5 to everybody around him. 
and uh, woe to this and woe to that and woe to you uh, as well. And then he comes into the presence of God. It says in chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and so on. And he is completely changed in his heart because he met God in that situation. Totally changed. He says, woe is me. Not woe to you and woe to you, but woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips. He understood his own sin. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And he began to to um, get concerned about his own situation. And God spoke to him and said, I'm going to come and I'm going to cleanse your sin. And he sent an angel uh, from the, with a coal from the altar that touched his lips. And he says, now your sin is atoned for. But it didn't stop there. It did not stop at that point. If you read on in Isaiah chapter 6, you'll hear a voice in heaven saying, who will go for us and whom will I send? And of course Isaiah replies, here am I, Lord, send me. And of course Isaiah is a type of Christ. And that same request, that same command came to Jesus. And he tells his disciples about it uh, one day. He says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so this whole story is about two boys who are very different in the way that they've responded to things. One lost out in the, in the far country and, and repents and comes home. And one who was supposed to have the responsibility to seek him and find him and bring him back, who ignores all of that and who does nothing. And yet he's identified as an elder son who should have taken up that responsibility properly. And we too can be in that situation we too can say, well, it's not really my job. I'm now saved. I can come to church. I'm a Christian. I can sit here. I can enjoy the preaching. I can go and be involved in all the activities of the church. We've got a very nice house group. Thank you very much. And that's it. But in actual fact, what this is saying to us and saying to these Pharisees and scribes who grumbled that Jesus uh, sat with sinners and received them, It's saying to them and to us that we have a responsibility to those who are out there. Those younger brothers, maybe people who have backslidden from the church, maybe people who have never been to church and yet need to repent, maybe people who are in a far country (laughs) who we need to go to and reach. There's all sorts of people out there who need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this message here is speaking to us about them. We are their elder brothers and sisters. We need to go and speak to them about the Lord Jesus Christ and bring them back home again and take the responsibility that we've been given very, very seriously indeed. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks again for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would use it to speak to our hearts and to challenge us with regard to a call from you. And that you would lead us and guide us in all that we do. 
in order that we might bring glory and praise to your holy name. Amen.